I said the Lord is good. If you believe it, give me an amen. amen. I know you've been standing for a while, so just from your seats, let's uh, take our declarations. The incantations we do before we start every serious thing in the spirit. All right, you know. Let me tell you, in this life, eh, one day, yesterday I was with um, one of my friends, and I was describing one man. He said, that man is in the cult. I felt like I said, oh boy, every man must join one. <laughs> you, listen, let me just advise you. You can't just be walking around life recklessly, exposed spiritually, no protection, nothing. You now see a man that's in Ogboni, say, can you imagine he's in Ogboni? Listen, the only reason why I'm not in Ogboni is that it's inferior to what I have. This is like when people are using... You need protection. Let's tell ourselves the truth. <laughs> some people will be happy somebody say the man is in the cult. Listen, if you never join cult, you never jump. It's the cult you will join. That's the issue. What we are preaching. Life is spiritual. You can't tackle it from a syringe and needle level. You cannot tackle life from this arm of flesh. The Bible says it itself. That the arm of flesh will fail you. The man operating in the flesh is inferior to a man who is operating by a bad spirit. The only thing that is safe <laughs> is to get into the real thing. Are you getting my point? Yes. The reason why an Oboni man cannot entice me or threaten me, he wasn't even there. There's nobody that has eyes in the spirit that will see me and want to issue a threat. Yes, power pass power. It's not a joke. Oh God, let me talk about power. In the West, they have different kinds of that's traditional occultic power. They have different types. They have the one you will tie under your belt. The application of some amulets is under your shirt. Nobody knows it's there. Just by the way, one day one of our brothers said he saw this. You know this boy is Udu 419. He said, the boy got a call. He said, this was in Benin. The guy stopped, came out from his car, put a tortoise on the ground and put a foot on it to take the call. <laughs> this really happened. This is not a joke. The man put tortoise down, put his foot on it to take his call. That is whatever I tell you, you will hear. <laughs> so there's tortoise. Are you getting my voice? <laughs> There's Totler application. <laughs> One man, is a the you know they call Oba, the king of one of the big um, towns in, in the west. There, once he was rushed to the hospital because he had an attack. They thought it was medical. He died from that attack, but he said it was a spiritual attack. And I heard something somebody told me about it. That what he said was that they caught him like unawares, like before he could get into his room. So the man felt very bad. He died from that attack. So there are all kinds of ones. I'm going somewhere. The heaviest, from what I know, the most potent is the one we call Ajesara. You know what it means? It's a Yoruba word that means I have eaten it, I have swallowed it. It's in my body. So I don't have to get into my room. I don't remove it when I want to bathe. So you have five minutes of my bathing period to catch me. I have eaten it. I have swallowed it. 
If you strip me naked, it's working. Amen? Amen. <laughs> now I'm going somewhere. Do you know why I like Christ Jesus? I have eaten him. I have swallowed him. His blood is flowing through my system. Yes. On top of that, I dwell permanently in the Father. My life is hidden with Christ in God. There is no way I can be, there's no how you can separate me from him. That is why I don't need to carry anything. I don't even have to go with my anointing oil. I don't have to go with my mantle. If there is no how, there is nothing that spoils it. You know, the traditional one, they say this one, woman can't touch. This one, water must not touch. This one, it requires this, number, this amount of sacrifice on a daily basis. I don't have any of those problems. If I wake up in the morning, I say, hmm, that's Thanksgiving. Are you getting my point? I, I don't want to digress from my message. I meditated the other day, and I realized that, you know what God was saying to Israel? You only eat things that can be offered to me as sacrifice. When Israel said, when God said some things were clean and some things were unclean, the unclean things were the things you couldn't offer to God. And even the Israelites were not allowed to eat them. You know what it means? I'll tell you. If I'm eating food, it's an offering to God. I eat f- offering all the, are you, are, you see the, I don't know why you, why do you want to join another cult apart from my own? In which the normal food I eat, bread is an, is an occultic offering. Water is, is working. Meat, rice, beans. I am constantly being fired. I'm always eating dangerous things. If you give me sweet and I say, Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. It's part of the cultic operation. Yeah. Nothing shall by any means. If you poison food and you just give me, say, eat, it will soon die. I will say, Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. The angels will separate it. This is poison. Give to, back to the sender. <laughs> The Lord is good. What God just says all the time is simple. Make the, let this word not depart from your mouth. Let's take our declaration. As we start the teaching of the word of God today. Now, please, if you are coming for the first time, just share with somebody. Somebody beside you will have it on a piece of paper on his device. If he doesn't have it, then it's in his mind. Then read his mind as his... Um... <laughs> are you getting what I'm saying? All right, one, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I am being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I am walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I am bearing fruit in every good work. And I am increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I said amen. Amen. Okay, let's go on to talking about um, the pursuit and the use of faith. Let's look at it again. Um, I would like us to take our text of scripture today from uh, the book of Romans chapter 10. The book of Romans, chapter 10. 
last time I spoke about how faith flows and the easiest way to get it. I've emphasized to us that faith is a substance. In fact, when the Bible uses the word spirit and doesn't qualify it, that's what it means. That is, say, like now, if physically, this is a material thing. In the realm of the spirit, what they call things is spirit. What is that made of? Of You say it's steel, it's metal, you know, or it's um, mud, it's clay, it's um, leather. Yeah, you get my point? These are material things. But in the realm of the spirit, all of them are called spirit. So if you want to see what an angel is built up of, is built up of spirit. Are you getting my point? It is a spiritually tangible substance. So in the same manner, just like you have wood, you have um, cotton, you have stuff like that, and you have water, water flows. In the realm of the spirit, faith is like water. Faith is a substance that flows. Faith is a substance you mix with things. Faith is a spiritual substance that activates the word of God to make it work in somebody's life. If God sends a word, that word does not work. It doesn't do anything until somebody hears it and mixes it with faith in his heart. Then what it produces is the activity of the word of God. Very important. So if God has given promises, those promises don't come to pass automatically until they are mixed with faith. And that's why we are talking about it. Because sometimes we often misinterpret what's going on, thinking that God is not faithful or that God is not doing what he promised that he would do. When he's saying that, no, that's not what is happening. What is really happening is that the, faith, the, the word I preached, the, the promise I gave, is not being activated by faith. And as we are going on, we'll see how to activate things by faith. Are you getting my point? And that's why we're talking about the pursuit and the use of faith. All right? Now, so we'll be looking at how to get that faith. So how do we get it? We say it's very important. But how do we get it? We know that faith must be acquired. We know it can be depleted. And I've talked about it again and again, some of the signs of depletion of faith. If you want to know whether your faith is low, watch how you start disobeying the commandments of God. That's how you know your faith is low. I said to us last time, God never said, obey my commandments. No. What he said is two things. One, pay attention. Two, believe. Pay attention, believe. If you do those two things, obedience all right, will result automatically from your heart. If you find yourself disobeying the word of God all the time, it is that faith is low. That is a sign that faith is low. If everything you are doing is failing, it's a sign that faith is low. If every time, all right, every day you have this, oh, my body is paining me, tomorrow my head is aching, the other day I injured my back, then this one, uh, you know, my chest, one sickness after the other, every time it's a sign that faith is low. Are you getting my point? So you don't, this is a mistake a lot of Christians make this, this is the wrong teaching that we're engaging as believers, especially in our country of today, without saying, who is pursuing me? Nobody is pursuing you. Are you getting my point? Listen, there are many gems out there in life, but they don't affect you because your immune system is intact. Are you getting my point? So you don't, the, the enemies are not being manufactured now. If your immune system is intact, even if the new gems come in, you will tackle them. So it's not who is pursuing you. It is that you just need to crank up your faith. You need to get it active. You need to fill up on it again. And that's what we're talking about. So how do I get that faith? How do I fill it up? That's what I'm trying to address. Let's read from that book of Romans chapter 10 as our text scripture for today. There's a long story there. We just want to pick it from a particular point so that we can understand, so we can use it to explain what we're talking about today. The break in my Bible is around verse 5. So I'll start from verse 5, but I will jump here and there so as to save time. 
He said, For Moses wrote that the man who practices the righteousness, which is based on the law, shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness on, based on faith speaks as follows. This is how it works. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Verse 8 says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him up from the dead, you will be saved. He said, for with, verse 10, for with the heart a person believes, producing righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. In this he said, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all those who call on him. Now in verse 14 he now says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Please notice that. How will they preach unless they are sent? He now says in verse 16, However, they, they did not all heed the good news. That is, some heard, to some a preacher was sent. But they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Who has believed our report? Alright? He now says in verse 17, He says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, please note this is very important. Just put a finger there. Let's quickly read them from the other portion of the Bible. Uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 4. I want to just read these few things to commence my teaching for today. The book of Ephesians chapter 4. We'll just go straight to verse um, 7. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, in verse 11, he says, and he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service or work of ministry to building up the body of Christ until we all attain, he says, the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Let me stop here because we are, not, uh, we are trying not to take too much time. You will see the reason why I read this in a moment, but I just remember one more scripture. Now, let's read that one, and then I can now start talking. The book of um, Romans, again, let's just go back briefly to chapter 1. There's something I want you to see here. Paul was greeting the Romans. He was greeting the church in Rome. He said, first, verse 8, I thank my God through Christ Jesus, through Jesus Christ for you all. Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, who I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son, is my witness. As to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests. If perhaps now, at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gifts to you that you may be established. 
that is, that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you, each of you by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Let me stop here. The Lord is good. I think I've read enough to make reference to as I speak. Now, how does faith come? I am going to start my um, exposition today by explaining that word, that expression again. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You will notice in that context that he said, just that in verse 16, that many people heard, but it did not profit them. He was talking about how would they believe if they have not been preached to. He said, but many heard, it did not profit them. And I said, so then, it is not just the hearing. It is hearing with faith. That's another scripture like that. So he said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That expression is very interesting. In English language, it's unique to Christians to say hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It doesn't make any grammatical sense. It does not. How do you say faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of Christ? Are you getting my point? (laughs) If you look at it well, it doesn't make much sense. And I thought about it extensively. And there may be many explanations, but there's one that the Lord helped me to see many years ago, which I wrote in my book, Great Faith Can Be Yours, which I want to encourage you to go and read again. It's available from our website, pastor.ng, for free download. A very small PDF file, but it's a complete book, all right? I don't think it's up to two megabytes. Drop it into your device and read it. Now, in that, I explain what I'm about to explain here again this um, evening. What does it mean to say faith comes by hearing and hearing? Now, what happens is that we often break it, and most Bibles do that. They put a comma after the first hearing, and then, but don't forget, all right, the Greek does not have punctuation marks. It writes no break, no jam, nothing, just they go. That's how Greek writes. Are you getting my point? It's English language that starts putting punctuation marks and all of that. So when people are translating the Bible, they have to be careful to insert punctuation marks where they think it's appropriate as they understand it. And I personally believe it does not fit in that particular place. And my reason is because of that hearing and hearing thing. I think hearing and hearing should be tied together as a particular kind of hearing that Paul was talking about. Now, one of the words I want to emphasize on again today is the word diligence, which we've talked about in our school of prayer. When we're talking about how to overcome sin, we say the reason why the word does not work is because there is no diligent application. And I'm convinced about it again, that if Christians apply diligence, all right, in applying the word of God to things, if they apply diligence in activating spiritual principles in their lives, they will see the result that God promised the problem is that lack of diligence. I mean, many of us preachers in trying to get people, it's good for evangelism. But let me tell you something. You don't preach immediate results to Christians. You can preach, come, I lay hands on you and you will be well. It is okay when you are doing evangelism. But when it comes to Christians, laying out of hands and instant healing works, but not all the time. But whether it works like that or it doesn't, you must teach Christians to be persistent to hold on tenaciously to the word of God until that which is promised manifests. Are you getting my point here? Listen, that's one thing about Christianity. That tenacity of faith is what God wants us to learn. And that is one thing we don't often, all right? You know, I, I say it all the time, please, don't, I, I don't, I'm hoping I don't sound critical as if this man criticizes people. No. I just that I, I, I'm, I'm not happy when we make, we do, the, the, God said it like this. You, you heal the heart of the daughters of my people slightly saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. God doesn't promise something, you promise it. 
And that makes people's hearts fail. I have seen people who are resistant to giving to the gospel simply because somebody made promises to them before, which God did not make. And then when those things did not come to pass, anytime they hear preachers talk about money, they are resistant. Anytime they hear preachers, somebody encouraging people to give, their hearts are hardened. Why? Because the early parts of their life when they were learning giving, somebody told them, once you give 10,000 naira, tomorrow God is going to give you a million. Once you give 500,000 naira, in fact, if God does not bless you in two weeks, come back and see me, I will refund your money. And people will step out on such things, and you and I know, 99% of the times, they get no results. A 1% of them may get results either because of pure coincidence. What I mean by coincidence is that something else is happening in their life at that particular point in time, so it happens to coincide with this. Or because God just looked and said, show mercy to that little boy. Show mercy to that little girl. All right? And then the fellow gets results. Unfortunately, we take just that one person and put him up as a poster child that this thing works. When in actual fact, it does not work. It does not work. Just giving one offering and expecting an instant miracle is not at all Christianity. These are exceptions to the rule. They are not the rule. In Christianity, God wants us to be persistent. It's called godliness with contentment, which means when I give, I just give. I am not, if I have a need, I make a request. When I want to give, I just give. I do not say I need a million, God take 10,000. I do not say I need a hundred thousand, God take a thousand naira, and then God will you multiply it. There is no such promise in the scriptures, all right? You do not, listen, why am I preaching this again? Is there somebody new here? Everybody here understands this now? Listen, with God, if you want to give, give. It is a spiritual crime to tie a request to your gift. That's a new expression, I like it. It's spiritually criminal to claim you are giving something to God when actually it's what you want to get that you are activating. You are not a good person. You are selfish. You have no interest of God or the person you are giving to at heart. You are only thinking of yourself. You are a manipulative person who is using spiritual things to manipulate for his own personal gain. You are not a giver. When a giver releases money, the money is gone. It's called godliness and contentment. When a Christian needs something, he, she understands that God is my father. Are you getting my point? So I can approach him and collect from him. I never release so I can collect. It's a, it's a terrible doctrine which permeated Christianity which does not allow people to really get true results in many parts of their lives. Because Christianity is a doctrine of doggedness. It's in Christianity, determination and commitment. Total sellout is what we are dealing with. Are you getting my point? That is, I just hold on to the word of God. And I said, this is my own. You know, there was a time, Jesus offended everybody. And Peter, Jesus looked at Peter and said, are you guys not going to? He said, to whom shall we go? That's Christianity. That I have come to Christ, I am not going anywhere else. I don't make bargains with my God. It is ungodly for a Christian to bargain with God. You are too small, you are too inconsequential, you are too tiny to initiate any bargain with him. What God does is give you something, take it or leave it. He is the God of the universe. You were not alive when Jesus came to die for you. 
He doesn't negotiate with people. There is nothing like, you will do this, I will do that. That's an insult to his throne. You don't come near him and say, Lord, when I do this, you will do that. God says, I am not doing it. I will take everything you have and I will kill you on top of it and nothing will happen. Why? Because I am God. And I have a legal right to it. I'm not even wielding or abusing my power. I have that legal right. You have sinned enough to die 10,000 times. If I keep you alive for one day, I own that life. To make it worse for you. You woke up one day and said you gave your life to Christ. What does it mean to give somebody something? I have collected it. <laughs> you get my point? It's my own. That is Christianity. Christianity does not make deals. I hear Christians say, I have made a covenant with God. I have made a bargain with God. I have told God he will do this, I will do that. When I hear it, I shake my head. Let me say something to you. You cannot make a covenant with God. I know it's popular in Christianity to say it, but I want to tell you today, you can't. Let me advise you ahead of time. Don't make God promises. That one, a personal advice. The other one was statement of fact. You don't have the ability to make any covenant with him. My own personal advice is don't make him promises. It's my personal advice. He said, what do you mean? I'll tell you. If something is wrong and you are doing it, confess and say you are sorry and ask for power to walk all right, according to that which is written. That is not really a promise. That is just, I mean, how do I say it? That's Christianity, to walk righteously. Now, when you start making promises, whether you realize it or not, in, you know, implicit in that is your own energy. And that thing will always fail you. God, I promise you, every day I will speak to two people. Then one day he drops in Saradis, I say, speak to the sand. You may say that, but there are no people here. Eh, no, it's a promise. Every day, two people. There are no people. That's your problem. Go and find them. Sounds funny, but Christians don't know it. When it comes to God, avoid making promises. Just have desires. You know what they call desires? You can promise human beings things. So. That's with God. No, really. With God, you yield. What did I say? It's not promise something. You yield totally. That's what I want Christians to understand. This promising is inferior to yielding. I am preaching total commitment, total yielding. That's what I'm saying. You can say, okay, God, I promise I'll give you 5,000 every other week. And he comes tomorrow and says, oh boy, I do all this sharing of money as if I'm begging. I don't like it. How much is there? He said, Lord, it's 150,000. Give me everything. That's what I call yielding. You know, I'm going to say something to offend some people, but I have realized that in this is my life, I have to trim down those who are following me by creating a lot of offense. So those who are not interested, they can go. Something happened a few days ago, and with a renewed anger, I got angry with the doctrine of Tyson. That doctrine is wrong. It's not scriptural. It's not based upon the teaching of the scriptures. If you read it well, you will discover Peter did not teach it. Paul did not teach it. James did not teach it. Even Jesus did not teach it at one moment. I'm not talking about how we arrived at it. I'll tell you why I'm just angry. First, 
Those few scriptures you quote, please go and read my... I've discussed it before. I don't have time now to analyze all of them. What I can just tell you is this. There's this argument that's funny that people bring up all the time. Tithing was before the law. Some say it was under the law. Now, this is a true statement. That when Jesus spoke, he said, you are dealing with matters of the law. He said, this you should have done without neglecting what? The weightier matters, complete it for me, of the law. So Jesus was talking about things of the law. So it's clear. There's no point arguing it. The next argument is that it was before the law. True. I don't disagree with that. The only problem I have is that people use the fact that somebody tightened before the law and they start practicing tightening under the law. The way we preach it is the law's type, the law version. The type before the law is not what we preach. The type before the law was done by Abraham. We have a record that he did it only once. It was spontaneous. He was going on the way. He saw Melchizedek and he tapped his pocket and said, this is what I have on me. And in case you did not know, 10% was regular taxation system of the whole system at that time. It was not a special revelation. What was special in Abraham was that he gave it to Melchizedek. The 10% was normal. It was common. It was common. It was not a revelation from above. Nothing. <laughs> Listen to me. I will not lie to you. Go and check this thing out. I am not telling you a lie. What was unique was that he gave to Melchizedek. If you go and check it, what will have happened at such times is, if you are passing through, let us assume as an example, Abakiliki is a kingdom. No. Assuming that we are coming from Abakiliki. Enugu is a kingdom. And we went to Oka to go and fight. That battle was in Oka. Are you getting my point? On our way back, if we pass through the kingdom of Enugu, going back to Abakiliki where we came from, we will be going through a man's territory, a ruler. So naturally, we have to stop and pay homage. And the homage was 10% of what we had on us. It was not new to Abraham. Men did it the day before him. They did it the day after him. It was a common taxation system and the way you honored people at that time. Why did God talk about it concerning Abraham? I'll tell you. Because when he was, like now we are passing now, assuming we we'll get to Enugu, we go to the Igwe of Enugu and say, we are Abraham and his friends. We are coming back from war. Thank you for safe passage through your land. We brought you gifts of honor. We have a thousand heads of cattle. We tell the men, drop a hundred. We honor the man of the land. Then Abraham turned. As he's passing through, he saw a priest of God. And said, ah, we can't pass him without honoring him the way you honor the kings. So he stopped and honored the priest of God. Are you getting my point? Which in Melchizedek's case, he was both a ruler and a priest. But I just broke it into two now to let you know why it was significant. That is, when Abraham did that, you know what he was saying? I am not just thanking a human ruler. I am thanking the God of heaven. That's why it was spontaneous. You say, why are you angry, Banky? This is just teaching now, all right? Now, before I get to why, 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 why I'm angry. Now, this is what happens. We establish that Abraham tithed under the law, or before the law. Then when we now want to practice it, we now take the codes from tithing under the law. See, every time you end, you will take a portion and keep and take to your local church. 
which we call the storehouse, that one is a modern fabrication. There's no thinking pastor that would disagree with that. It's a modern fabrication. What we call the storehouse now has never existed in the scriptures. The first churches did not see themselves as a storehouse. You are wondering what I'm talking about. I'm not here to take Christians not to give. I want you to understand how to give. In the storehouse in Israel, the money was used for three things. Take care of the priests. Take care of the widows. Take care of the strangers. Essentially, take care of those who didn't have. It was not used for any other thing. You see what I'm angry in a moment. So, in the, when storehouse began, was not Abraham. Forget all of that thing. With Abraham, there was no storehouse. He stumbled into a priest and he said to God, thank you. In my culture, how do we say thank you? We give 10% of what we have. Are you getting my point? Abraham says, we don't discuss what he did with the 90%. Have you noticed we are very clever? Because if we did, nobody would follow Abraham's title. We'll have taken 90% of what we end and given back to our bosses. That lets you say you made us rich. But we don't do that. What does that tell you? We are not doing Abraham thing. Abraham was not calculating anything on the monthly basis. What did Abraham do? You see, it has to do with my message today. Abraham showed honor. That's what he did. It was not mechanical. You see where I'm going. Why was I angry? Let's, get, let's not get back to my anger. Remember my anger. Something happened over the last one week or two. My wife and I, we, you know, we chat, we talk a lot. And I told her one morning, I said, I'm angry. I said, why? I said, I've noticed something. I've seen mean people. They call mean. They won't help the needy. They will see a man of God. He has to feed his family. The only job he does is this preaching. And they say, man, that man, they try. And they will walk past him. Abraham would not have walked past him. I hope you are getting my point. No, Abraham would not have walked past him. I talked to my brother, Pastor Courage, who pastors in Sokoto. One day, he and I had to settle down and discuss. And I told him, man of God, you have to do this thing. Set up a small like, unit. Many of you here, you've given money to that because I told you about it. Because he will tell you about missionaries, people who work in the north. They don't have private jets. They don't have anything like that. They've labored in the corners that you don't know exist. Many of them have been killed preaching the gospel of Christ. Many of them, their children, they get admission to go into university. They cannot pay. But we sit down wickedly and feel righteous because we have calculated one accursed 10% and handed it to where I don't know. I chose my words carefully. We have used it to harden our hearts. We are hard. Hard. After I paid God his portion, this 90%, please, my, me and my family, we have to manage. That is not Abraham's tithe. Abraham is embarrassed to see Melchizedek come and his children have not eaten. And he says, I have already calculated the normal 10%. Which one remain again? 
The one we practice is the one under the law. The real spirit of giving is what Abraham did. It is just that he happened to have used 10%, which is not spiritual, I've told you. That 10%, there was nothing spiritual about it. What was spiritual was Abraham was a man who honored the presence of that priest of God. For us today, it has many connotations. There was one woman in the scriptures like that. We call her the Shunammite woman. She tithed like Abraham. Anytime Melchizedek will be passing, she will call unto Melchizedek and say, Sir, there is food. After your meeting, come over to our house. You know that big house on the mountain? It's my husband's own. That's where I'm queen. I have a banquet prepared for you and your men. And Melchizedek will pass by. You remember who Melchizedek, Melchizedek is in this context? Who's that? Elisha, thank you. And this is how Melchizedek will go there and sit down and eat. And he will be refreshed and he will leave. Then she wasn't sure of where Melchizedek was staying. So she turned to her husband, which is why I'm telling the story. She said, I perceive that this man that passes before us every day is a holy man of God. Why do we let his holiness find where to stay when God has blessed us like this? Why don't we build him a special guest house? The husband said, no problem. Madam, if that's the way you want it. They called the contractors, they built it. And said, sir, here are the keys. Anytime you come by, you don't need permission. The guest house is yours. This woman was so nice to Elisha. Our own Melchizedek right now. And this is another thing Christians must learn. And in all of that, she desired nothing. We cut our tight, hoping that when Wahala come, I will hold his trouser. <laughs> I will say to him, did I just change you anywhere? I even paid 500 extra just in case the banks don't, you know, so that by the time, you know, they deduct this interbank transfer. God, see, why are my children sick? And God will say, if your children are sick, find the scripture and activate a promise. Don't argue with me. Take a rod, lift it up, and split this sea, and stop coming to be making noise. We do our own so-called tithing, hoping that we will have bought protection. That again is unscriptural. It's unchristian. It does not have the spirit of Christ. That woman, we should learn from her. She did all of this with nothing in mind. How do I know? Because one day, Elisha was so overwhelmed with gratitude. He said, ah, all these years we've been walking around, nobody has honored us like this. What can we do for her? So they called her and presented all the common, you know, prayer points. Which one do you want to do? What want us to do? To ask God for or ask human beings to do for you? And the woman said what? Nothing. Why? If it's money, do I look like I'm looking for money? Look around. What about protection? Let the soldiers guard your house. He said, I live amongst my people. I used that to prove that she didn't want anything. It was not a prayer request she was planning for. She just wanted to honor Melchizedek like Abraham did. It was Elisha that now started the whole prayer thing. When he has, he said, ah, she doesn't have a son. Elisha said, that's not a problem. 
Are you getting my point? She did not even desire it because you got, I don't want to have time to explain it further. But look at it. The woman did what she did until you are ready to give like that. You are not yet saved in that area. Until you are ready to give and just have done it. What do you want? Nothing. That was the right thing to do. How can a holy man of God be passing like this every day? You know, I digress into all of this when I realize that Christians, they lose that tenacity, that determination to just do right. We end up doing things sporadically when we have a need. We preachers often try to persuade Christians to do things because of this emergency need they have. I will start making promises of sudden breakthrough when God did not promise such thing. God said to Abraham, walk before me and be what? Perfect. What was he saying? You walk is a training in perfection. There's no hurry. He didn't tell Abraham, give me something. The time God demanded something of Abraham, it was after, if I may use the calculation of somebody like, I used to say it was about 40 years afterwards. But when I listened to David Pawson, he said no. It was 55 years afterwards. Why? Because I assumed that Isaac was a teenager. The man said no. Isaac was 30 when he was sacrificed. I heard that for the first time from David Pawson. And when David Pawson talks, please be silent before you say, I don't go agree, I don't go agree. I have your own proof. These are men that have 5,000 books in their libraries. When he wants to teach on a particular point, he will give you 16 different viewpoints first because he has read what everybody has to say about it. So when the man says, now it doesn't mean that I, it's everything that he says is right. I know human is 100% correct, all right? But when he makes his point like that, you are careful before you speak. He said, he said Isaac was between 30 and 40 years of age. That's way he calculated it. Many of us say, ah, ah, how can a, a man like that agree to be killed? Listen, small, small, I mean, Boko Haram people are getting killed deliberately. ISIS people are getting killed deliberately. Soldiers, don't they get killed? No, answer. They see bullets flying, they go there, knowing that less than half of us will come back alive. They are soldiers. In the same manner, Isaac was not, was not raised up to ever disagree with Abraham. If he says, Isaac, lie down there, Isaac will have laid down there nicely. And he sees his knife going up. I don't know what that is up to. That's it. I, I pray you will be... Oh, God in heaven. I pray we will be like that with God. The way God behaves. We all have to learn to trust him. Honestly. What I pray to the Lord about all the time is God. Let me just be sure that I am not using ignorance or disobedience to spoil anything you are doing in my life. Beyond that, anything you want, no problem. I literally prayed once. Literally. I said to the Lord, if you want me to be poor in this life, I honestly mean it. I have no problem with it. The only thing I prayed to him that time was that, if that's the way you want it, can I make a request? I don't want to have a wife. That was the only thing I asked him. I didn't say, God, no, no, no. I said, Lord, if that's the way you want it, I just have one request. Don't give me a wife. You know, that poor line ministry, let's do it. I'm not kidding. I prayed that prayer. 
So when, I, when you hear me quote Isaiah 66 verse 12, Behold, I will cause prosperity to flow towards you like a river. It wasn't out of desire. It was a discovery. <laughs> Back to the point I was making. Listen. God said to Abraham, Walk before me and be what? Perfect. Before he asked Abraham for Isaac. But if I go with David Paulson's suggestion, then that was at least 55 years after Abraham had been walking with him. Except you are ready to walk with God. Faith will not come to your heart. That's actually the message. You know, I started by saying, what is hearing by hearing? All of this, my talk, is to get to the hearing by hearing thing. What is hearing by hearing? It's just to let us know there are two types of hearing. There are those who are hearers only. James talked about them. He said, be doers of the word and not hearers only. The first, set, the first kind of hearing is the hearing only. What does, what does it mean? Let me say something to you. James said, be doers of the word. I believe that those that James called the doers of the word, are, there are two types of hearers. There are the hearers only, and the hearing and hearing people, which are the ones James called the doers of the word. Let me say something about a doer of the word. You are not a doer because you do. You do because you are a doer. Do you hear what I said? There is nothing you do now that makes you a human being. I hope you get my point. You talk does not make you a human being. You walk the way you do does not make you a human being. You look the way you do doesn't make you a human being. All of those things happen to you because you are a human being. Being human was first. All these other things are the expressions of the humanness of your nature. So that if today you strip yourself naked and you start rolling on the ground outside, what are we going to say? He has gone mad. We will not say, oh, we thought it was a human being. We didn't know it was a snake. Are you getting my point? We won't say it like that. If tomorrow you remove your clothes, you wear man-made clothing, and you dive into the ocean, we won't say, eh, you mean this boy was a mummy man? No, we just say, he's acting. So he has learned to swim. Who taught him to swim? Is he scuba diving? He's going to drown now. He hasn't come up since. It won't cross our minds to think you are fish. Why? The humanness of your nature was established first. In the same manner, a doer is not decided because he's doing. A doer is a nature, it's a decision, it's a mindset, it's a lifestyle that you have. So that even if you are sleeping, we'll say, oh, a doer is sleeping. Even though he's not doing anything. We don't say he's not a doer because he's not doing anything anymore. No, it's a nature somebody has. In the same manner, there are those who are hearers. We're not talking about them. We want to talk more about the doer people. So a doer is a conversion state. That is, you get converted from being a hearer to being a doer. Now, a doer must hear first for him to have something to do. So James said, at that hearing stage, you can't tell who is who. Everybody's what? Hearing. So James said, make sure you are not one of those hearers, but make sure you are a doer. 
If you are not a doer, coming to church is deceiving yourself. Who is a doer? I'm still talking about that. Back to hearing. Now, I've already established something. A hearer, hearer, you know my point, is the doer. It's the same thing. So when they say hearing and hearing, let's go back to that. When the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing, this was what Paul was explaining. In the scriptures, anytime you see something stated twice like that, it is to tell you the gravity of the seriousness. For example, Jesus will say, Verily, verily, I say unto you. It doesn't say, verily, I say unto you. It is verily, verily. Literally, it means, amen, amen. That's the literal Greek. Established, established. It is so, it is so, what I'm about to say unto you. In the scriptures, I mean, the best way we understand it is when Joseph interpreted a dream for Pharaoh. The dream came twice in two different forms. And what did Joseph say? It's an indication of how serious the matter is. So it means this thing is starting immediately. When Paul said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. He wasn't saying faith comes by hearing, comma, and then hearing. It is a type of hearing called hearing, hearing. Again, we read that from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Don't open to it. God said, if you shall diligently hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Now, Derek Prince taught me this. I'll listen to his message. He said the literal Hebrew is this. If you shall listen, listening. The literal Hebrew says, if you shall listen, listening. Now, of course, that doesn't make sense in English. That's why you hear all of this, diligently hearken, diligently obey. Diligently. There was one translation I ch- checked the other day. I, I, I didn't call my computer. I quickly checked it. I don't have it here. I think it's Bible in basic English. And that one says, if you shall pay full attention to these words that you are hearing today. Now, I'm not even just an issue here. The literal Hebrew is this. 